Welcome to Animal Cafe, where you'll hear weekly interviews with experts and enthusiasts working to better the lives of animals, and a monthly segment reviewing fun, fabulous, and useful products for your pets. Check our website, animalcafe.co, for more. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Animal Cafe. This is Lori Houston, your Animal Cafe resident veterinarian. We're here today with Gail Ross, author of A 30-Day Guide to Healing from the Loss of Your Pet. Welcome, Gail, and thanks for, ga- uh, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Lori, and it's my pleasure to be here today. I've had the pleasure of reading through your book, and it's, it's really a great little resource. I love the fact that it's, it's kind of a pocket-sized thing so people can carry it with them. Well, I'm, I wanted it to be an easy read. Uh, rather than a technical kind of heavy book, because when people are grieving, the last thing they need to do is, is sit down and read, you know, a heavy book on grief and loss. Yeah, yeah. This is something that people can kind of just, you know, put in their purse or in their pocket and carry it right along with them, and just sort of refer to it when they feel like they need a, you know, a little pat on the shoulder or whatever, a little hope to to get through the the hard hardest moments. Absolutely, um, absolutely, and that was my thought, and you know, and why I did it the size I did it. Yeah, I think that was that was a really good choice on on your part. You might have to have a rather big pocket to get it in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things I really liked about the the book is that you. You give people permission to grieve over their pet. As a veterinarian, I hear so many people that come in and, you know, they're apologizing to me because they're crying over their pet's loss. And it just seems such a shame. You know, you should be able to cry over your pet's loss. You should be able to, to mourn his passing. He's a part of your family. You know, somebody that's been with you that shared the, the good times and the bad. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's really important, and that's one of the things you really brought across in your book. I hope so, because that's one of the biggest, I think, issues in dealing with the loss of your pet. I mean, you're feeling devastated because you lost your pet, and then that you should be worried about feeling embarrassed about those feelings. It's so sad, and so, you know, it's like I want to spread the word, hey, you know, it's okay, It's it's, you know. It's something that someone that's important in your life, whether it's a person or an animal, you know, the loss is a horrible uh, experience. And like you said, you have uh, pet owners that apologize for feeling terrible when, you know, that's the last thing they should be worrying about. Absolutely. And, and you know, there, there are people out there that most of them, I think, probably don't own pets and aren't really pet lovers, but they don't understand what a pet lover goes through when when we lose one of our pets. And I think sometimes you just kind of have to ignore those types of people and, you know, just put their feelings aside and worry about your own. Exactly. Like I had a friend when I lost one of my dogs say, now get over it. And I mean, I just, I've never forgotten. I mean, the other thing is you don't forget things that people say to you that are insensitive but you know people say insensitive things when they when you lose a you know like if someone is uh, an older person that dies you know someone will say well they had a good life 
And, uh, you know, sometimes that's also true with a pet. You know, they'll say, well, how old was the dog? Well, they had, you know, it's still a loss no matter the age. Um, yeah, absolutely. Whether it's two years or 20 years, it's still it's still a loss, as you said. Absolutely. And I think it it's getting more recognized that it's okay, but, you know, it's still... Um, I still see it too, Lori, where people are kind of apologetic or, you know, that they're feeling so bad about the loss. And so that's kind of what my mission, one of them, is to spread the word that, you know, it's okay. You know, don't be embarrassed. Uh, So I'm glad that that message came through with the book because that was one of the main things that I wanted to uh, accomplish with the book besides, you know, being... uh, pain relieving is to take away that embarrassment about feeling terrible. Well, you're, you're a therapist by training, correct, Gail? Right. That's correct. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So you have some knowledge of what people go through when they're grieving and, you know, what the process entails. Absolutely. And, so and you know, the steps are really the same for people or for pets. Uh, the thing that makes pet loss sometimes so devastating is having to make the decision to euthanize your pet. You know, we can't do that with people. And uh, so there's that added burden uh, that, you know, exists where you can start questioning yourself, did I do it too soon? Did I wait too long? Whereas with human loss, you can say similar things, but never that final decision that you took away someone's life. Although people that I've talked to, who've had an elderly, you know, parent that chose to take them off of life support. I guess that in some ways, as I'm thinking about it, is similar to euthanasia. Uh, But you just, it's not, it doesn't seem as extreme for some reason to me as as that choice that you have to make with a pet. Yeah, I I agree. I don't, I don't, I think it's similar, but I don't think it's quite the same thing. And I think a lot of pet owners, you know, when they, you know, when your pet dies, whether it's expected or unexpected, but he dies naturally without you having to make that decision to actually put him mm-hmm. to sleep, um, it, that's a very difficult thing to deal with, and there's absolutely no doubt about that. But when you actually have to, you know, physically make the decision to end your pet's life, it, I think it adds a degree of guilt that isn't there when the pet dies a more natural death. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's every owner's wish, I think, to have their their pet die naturally so that you're not left with that, you know, sense. Because I still, it's been two years, September 3rd, since I put down my dog, Madison. And every once in a while, I still have a twinge of, you know, guilt did I do it too soon or you know could I've done something more yeah and um so yeah I mean there is that that factor that's so unique and I guess as I'm thinking about it now that I said about taking someone off of life support is a more passive choice whereas choose you know taking your dog and to euthanize it is a more active choice so it, it is definitely a different thing but it's having control over anyone's life whether it's a person or an animal, is, you know, is is painful when it, it doesn't turn out the way you think it should have. So, yes, losing a pet is, uh, 
I'd say one of the higher stresses in this world for anyone, you know, who's terribly attra- attached to their their animal. You must see a lot of that as a veterinarian too. I mean, obviously. Yeah, we do, and you know, it's it's something that everybody handles a little bit different. You know, people handle it in different ways. Um, you know, some people are angry. Some people are are you know more. Um, accepting of it and not not saying that they're not grieving but they you know they've sort of come to terms with it you know a little bit different fashion than than others have everybody handles it in a different right. fashion and some people some people are ready to go out and adopt another pet um almost as soon as they lose one and others it just it takes them longer to be ready to accept a new pet. So it's really an individual type of thing, I it's think. Very, and the whole mourning process is an individual thing. You know, some people take longer and, and the stages of, you know, go back and forth. It's, it's not like a linear kind of process. But, yeah, people definitely handle uh, loss differently. And like you said, some go out and get a pet right away. And I think one of the things in my book is, like, the people that don't feel comfortable, uh, don't want their pet to think that they've been replaced. And, and I think one of my comments in the book is that it's actually a tribute to your pet, not a replacement. But, you know, yeah, timing is different for, you know, I met a woman the other day. I think she said she lost her pet 10 years ago and hasn't been able to get another pet because she knew she'd never get one, you know, that would replace the one she had. And even, I felt that way with losing Madison two years ago, but even having Stella, I guess what it's taught me is, you know, that I'm able to move on and get attached to another animal. Um, But some people do go out, like, you know, within a day or two and have a new pet. Um, And there's no right or wrong on it, you know. No, there's really not. It You know, it's really what works best for you in whatever situation you're in. And it's, you know, what I tell my, my pet owners, you know, the, the ones that, that I deal with in my hospital, is that you're never going to replace the pet that you, you lost. You know, when you get another pet, it's not to replace a pet that's lost. This new pet is going to take a, it's going to have a new place in your life. It's going to find a, a new place in your heart and in your life, but it's never going to replace exactly. the one that's that's gone, the one that you've lost. And, you know, it's, that's true in human relationships, too. You know, I mean, people lose their... Yes, so it is. To recognize that, you know, that you're not trying to replace, and I think that can, you know, if someone approaches it that way, it could set up the new pet relationship to be problematic because no two dogs are alike. No two cats are alike, are they? I mean... No, absolutely not. No, any any more than, you know, losing a spouse and, and you know, eventually finding and marrying someone else. It's, you know, you, you're not going to replace your husband exactly. or your wife. You, 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 there'll be a new relationship, a, a, new, a new type of love, but it's different just the same. You don't replace the person that's, that's exactly. gone exactly. before you. And, you know, the hardest thing, I guess, with losing anything is, is going through the stages that you need to go through to prepare yourself to move on and you know that's I guess what maybe this would be a good time to to talk about the stages Gail the different stages of that people go through when they're grieving okay um well 
I think the first stage is when you find out your pet is is sick or terminally ill uh, with no hope, like in some types of cancer and other pro- medical things, you're in a state of shock. I, I know that especially if you've had a healthy animal and all of a sudden, you know, like overnight, they're they're not the same, you know, state of health and then you find out a really, you know, negative prognosis. So it's shock or denial. And then I think what can happen after that is, is this, what I referred to as my seven R's to recovery. The first is reacting with shock and then the next one is the recrimination where you think, oh my gosh, if I had just gotten him to the vet earlier or if I had noticed that he wasn't or she wasn't eating the way she usually did. Uh, I guess basically blaming yourself for not recognizing maybe symptoms had you know that were there that you just didn't pay attention to. And then after uh, recrimination comes rumination, and this is the stage where you keep going over and over previous events, searching for alternatives that might have saved your pet's life. And it's kind of an endless cycle of would have, could have, should have. Uh, some people are more prone to ruminating than others. Uh, and those who are engaged in this kind of thinking bring extreme sadness and depression to themselves. And it differs from the recrimination in, in that it's a redundant process. You just keep going over it and over it. it it's a form of obsession, really, um, and only makes you know the pet owner feel a lot worse. And then the next stage I refer to as reaching out or trying to move forward. And this is where you start maybe reaching out to other people, um, maybe talking to people about your feelings. And you know, hopefully there are people that understand. But you're you're not as into yourself, and you're more into sharing your feelings with other people. And then, because grief is a kind of bouncing back and forth, you know, from that stage of moving forward and reaching out, you can also end up reliving and regretting again. And this is very similar to the rumination, but it's a little more down down the line. It's where you actually started comes after you started to move forwards and then it's the stage where you start moving backwards again um, where you're blaming yourself and thinking of all the things that you could have done differently and uh, it's part of the grief process I guess of you know the back and forth uh, kind of experience that it is and then Finally, and hopefully you get to the point that you've, you're resolving and readjusting to living your life without that pet. Um, and it's, it's the, the moving forward part of the whole grief process that probably finally makes you feel a little bit better. Uh, you can get out of bed in the morning and, and almost look forward to it, you know, another day. You'll still have some pain, but it's less intense. Um, and less on the present. And then finally there's the rally and recovering. And for this, you know, is the, it's the ideal place you want to get to, but it's different. It takes some people a lot longer than others, and that's okay. Uh, it's a stage where you feel hopeful that you, you will recover. Um, you're not feeling that just exhaustion from the whole grieving experience. You're feeling more energetic and you're able to accomplish more tasks. 
you start making plans to do more positive things in your life, like take a trip or uh, maybe even getting to the thought of getting another pet. Um, And hopefully, once you reach that stage, you keep moving forward, but you also have to give yourself, whatever stage you're at, you still have to give yourself permission and, and realize it's normal to start going backwards and thinking, you know, of the things you might have, the would have, could have, should have stage. So those are the stages of uh, the grief process. Um, and then uh, there's a very well-known uh, grief psychologist, I guess is the best way to describe him. His name is J. William Warden, and I've heard him speak uh, at several grief conferences based on human loss, but it really it's still applicable to uh, pet loss. And he talks about the four necessary tasks to complete mourning. And the first is to accept the reality of the loss, that reunion is impossible, at least in this life. And, you know, a little aside here, I think many pet owners are familiar with Rainbow Bridge. And it's that hope that once you die, that you will be reunited with your pets. But it will, you know, it, it's a kind of a therapeutic, ideal situation that we would all dream of. But the first step in actually moving on or completing mourning is to recognize that your pet is no longer part of your life, at least in this current life. The second is to work through the pain of the grief, and I think I talked about that with the seven hours of the mourning process. And then the third process is to adjust to an environment in which the pet is missing. So many of us, I think, especially dog people, but I'm sure cat people, have routines that are based around your pet, like you get up at a certain time, you feed the pet at a certain time, you, you have a structure to your life that revolves around the pet, and so that adjusting to the environment in which the pet is no longer there um, is difficult, but it has to happen. Um, and I know so many times when I've lost a dog that was always on, you know, under my feet, I, I would still be walking around like he was still there or she was still there. And so it, it's a difficult stage because of the habit of, of just planning your life around your pet schedule. And finally, to the final uh, step that Warden refers to is to emotionally relocate the deceased and move on with your life. And I guess that's the stage that I mentioned at stage seven, seven in my seven R's that you're moving forward and uh, rallying and recovering. And uh, that can be any number of things. You know, one thing I did after I finally was able to stop the active mourning of my dog was to get involved in the animal rescue world. And as painful as that sometimes is, it's also very rewarding. So I think it's finding something to do that makes you feel good about yourself is important. And I guess that's that's the series of events or thinking that needs to take place to get through the loss of a pet. So there's... There's really a lot that people have to go through before they can reach a point where where they're healed, so to speak. 
Exactly. And your book sort of, well, not sort of, your book does approach things in, in a day-by-day fashion and sort of gives different uh, different things to think about and do on a day-to-day basis that I assume are geared toward leading people through these, these different stages and, and getting them to a point where they're starting to heal. Right. And when I say a 30-day guide, I mean, it is just a guide. It, you know, it's like I don't think it's going to resolve your grieving the 30 days, right. but I had hoped to give, you know, the, the message that these are some things to think about that might relieve some of the pain. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that someone's expected to be healed in 30 days and, and moving on with their life necessarily. The person that did my graphics on the front said, had suggested using the 30-day the guide to enduring the loss of your pet. And then someone I know said she hated that word, enduring. But, you know, actually, I think it's a very apt description um, of what is taking place in those fir- in that first month or the first 30 or 31 days. Yeah, it does seem, it does seem fairly descriptive, yes, doesn't it? Yes, yes. So I think if I did the book again, I might say a 30-day guide to enduring the loss of your pet. I think, I don't know, you know, because it's it's (laughs) hopeful to say healing, you know what I mean? Enduring still has that, oh my goodness, you know, can I really do this? Well, regardless, regardless of the title, I think the book is, is a tremendous resource for someone who's going through that situation and, and needs a little bit of help. And, you know, if nothing else, it, it, uh, Let's people know that they're not alone, that others have gone through the same thing that they're going through, or at least a very similar type of thing that they're going through. Mm -hmm. And I believe there are some resources listed uh, in the book also for people that need to to seek further help also, correct? Yes, I have a list in the back of places that offer mostly uh, groups uh, for grief loss, which is very good because I think knowing you're not alone is so important in pet loss because getting back to that legitimizing, you know, that it's okay to feel terrible. And so most of those resources are, um, are groups, but there are therapists, you know, that also specialize in pet loss. They do exist out there, but I stuck mostly to what were primarily university sponsored uh, programs or humane society sponsored programs. Um, because those are usually free and uh, meet on a regular basis. Why don't we uh, give our listeners a location to to find your book, Gail? Where they, if they are interested in purchasing it, where they, where can they? Okay, it's where can they find that? It's available on Amazon, okay. and it's available on my website, Pet Loss Guide. Net. And here in uh, Raleigh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, it's available at all the local bookstores, the small bookstores. Okay. And uh, the title of the book, again, is A 30-Day Guide to Healing from the Loss of Your Pet by Gail Ross. Any last thoughts, Gail, last, uh, last minute advice you want to give before we, uh, before we say goodbye? 
I guess I'd say, you know, if you've lost a pet, just be kind to yourself and don't add to your pain by trying to hold in your feelings and feeling embarrassed. You know, it's okay to fall apart over the loss of your pet. I guess that's what I'd like to stress. And okay. that's, yeah, and the 30-day guide is certainly set up to help you. It's both a diary and some words of wisdom, both mine and others. And uh, so it's a nice little structured way of dealing with those that first month of loss. Yeah, it is. It is a very nice way of dealing with that first month, and it's something that that can help pass the first month too. It's you know you don't have to put the book away and forget about it after that if you still need a little reminder. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Gail. I think this interview has been very, uh, very informative, and I appreciate your being here with well, us today. Thank you so much for having me, and um, I do hope for anyone in the grief process that this book and this uh, interview will be helpful. I think it will. And that's it for today's episode of Animal Cafe. Thank you for joining us, and don't forget to join us next week when Edie Girolam, our Animal Cafe travel correspondent, will be back with another great guest. Thank you and have a great week.